For classical singers, very often the first contact with the Latin American art song comes throughout the songs of the Argentinian composer Carlos Guastavino. He was one of the most outstanding art song composers of the continent, who wrote literally hundreds of art songs set into music some of the most prominent Argentinian, Latin American and Spanish poets. His music goes straight to the heart. The combination of his neo-romantic style with the folkloric elements makes it unique. He had a gift for finding the music inherent to the poems. Guastavino was a very reserved person. During his life, very few people could talk to him and get to know him. To talk about his life, personality, political views, values, and of course, about his music, in this episode we will talk with Dr. Silvina Luz Mancilla, an Argentinian musicologist who met him and spent a lot of time with him and the world's expert in his music. Let's start! You are listening to the Latin American and Iberian Art Song Podcast, a program to discover composers, poets, songs, and everything about the world of Latin American and Spanish song. My name is Patricia Caicedo. I'm a soprano and musicologist and the author of the Latin American art song Sounds of the Imaginations. I have published nine books with scores of Latin American and Iberian art songs. I have performed this repertoire around the world and have recorded 11 CDs. I am the founder of the Barcelona Festival of Song, a summer program for classical singers, pianists and musicologists devoted to studying the Latin American and Iberian art song repertoire in Spanish, Catalan and Portuguese. The festival arrives to its 17th year in 2021. and welcome to the Latin American and Iberian Arts Home Podcast. My name is Patricia Caicedo, I'm in Barcelona, and in today's episode we have a guest all the way from Buenos Aires, Argentina, Dr. Silvina Luz Mancilla, an expert in Carlos Guastavino. So welcome, Silvina. Hello, Patricia. Thank you so much for your invitation to this podcast to talk about Guastavino. Thank so you very I'm much. very, very excited. I have followed your publications and your career for many years. I'm one of your fans. Yes. So, uh, and because as a singer, I'm one of the first in American art songs that I sung, that I knew, were the songs of Carlos Guastavino, who is like a, one of the top art song composers in our continent. So I'm sure our listeners will be eager to learn about you first and about Guastavino. So first of all, about you, how did you start? I mean, you are a musicologist. How did you start in musicology and how was born the interest in Carlos Guastavino? Well, you know that uh, I was born and raised in a province in San Luis when I studied uh, piano from seven to 17 years. 
And Guastavino then was for me a composer of Argentinian music, a composer of pianistic music, the bailecito, the gato. I used to play those pieces when I was a girl. Afterwards, when I finished my secondary school, I moved to Buenos Aires to study musicology and to study piano professionally at the National Conservatoire. And when I was studying musicology at the Argentinian Catholic University, one of my professors, Dr. Carmen Garcia Muñoz, told us that it was very important to, to have interviews with those composers that were alive and didn't have until yet uh, their catalogs organized. So she mentioned uh, Guastavino as a person. He didn't answer the phone. He didn't oh. give interviews. He, he didn't want to be with people. He was, uh, he was a little girl of public situations. Divina. What year are we talking about, more or less? 1986. Okay. And I, I, I was... 24, 25 years. You were very young. Yeah. And then I, I, I said that I, I could try. I could try. I, I, I could do an effort to call him and to try to, to meet him in Belgrano, where he lived in a little apartment in Buenos Aires. And it was uh, a challenge because this fame of this composer who didn't answer the phone, etc. Oh, God. Yes, he answered the phone and... Uh, as I, as I wanted to give him uh, our review, the, the scientific review of the Catholic University, I had to go to his house to give the review, but I, I wasn't, uh, I, I didn't hope I, I would chat three hours, more than three hours with him at the first time. So How old was him at that time, more or less? He was uh, 77, 70. 78 years. So we began professional relationship and I began to do the first catalog, a very imperfect catalog that I published in 1989. Afterwards in the, in the, in the 90s, he, he began a friend, a friend of my husband, a friend of me, and we had some interviews that we could record his voice and he was very very glad with us so when you are talking about the catalog you you cataloged all his piano music and voice vocal music or all the output or specifically the color how was it how was the catalog the catalog is all the production listed by hammers orchestral piano music art song, music, camera music, and all his work. Works. 200 or more than 200. But he wasn't a person interested in his work or he was so, he, he didn't have any ego. So he didn't want to be an important person. He used to say that it wasn't important to do a catalog of his work. So. <laughs> So the, the first catalog, although I published it, it is really imperfect. Afterwards, many years... Very curious, and I have questions from what you are saying that is very interesting. In his home, how was 
the how did he have they organized that it was well organized or it was a mess where you have to go to different places or how was it it was a very it was a very little apartment very organized but very few things uh, only those things necessary to live a piano a table some places to sit his bed, uh, his chemical substances that, he, but because he he had studied chemical engineering, so he was interested in some sciences, and uh, and his scores, his books, but everything was in a in a little space. The apartment was in the, at the top of the building, on the fifth floor, and. Uh, he was a modest person, a very modest person. He wanted to live only with those things necessary the for each day. And his own music, he had it organized well, or you have to, it was difficult for you to find the, his own manuscripts and things. He had uh, his manuscripts, those manuscripts that he considered were important. It was, I, I was lucked because the majority of his work was published by Ricordia Americana and by Lagos. So his manuscripts, several manuscripts were on the, on the writers. Many few works were not published. Perhaps 20, 20 works were not published. Also, but he is also he one of the reasons why his music is well known around the world because he has the fortune to be published. Yes, he had the fortune to be published from the very beginning, in 1938, when he began to compose uh, songs. He began to publish them by Ricordia Americana, and it, it wasn't a, a problem to indict for him because he was. He he was it was a great demand on on his music. So he could survive out of his the money that his music produced. I imagine. Yes, uh, he began to produce art songs, and we can say that the art song in Guastavino is like the backbone of his work of his production because from nineteen thirty eight. Until 1992, all his his trajectory, all, all his production, he composed songs, art songs. Of course, the piano is a very important part of his work because he was a virtuous performer, and he composed at the piano all his works. And the piano is important. He had solo pieces, pieces for two pianos, a sonatina for four hands. Um, but the, the art song is the, is the backbone of his work, surely. So, and how was this relationship? Because always all fascinated me, the close relationship that he had probably most at the beginning with the folk music tradition and the folk also poets and with the movement of the folk song in Argentina. How was that meeting? 
Well, that meeting began uh, when he was four or five years. He used to, to say that he had an uncle who lived in Buenos Aires province, and he remembered his uncle shaving in the mornings when he used to go to Santa Fe, and when he was shaving, he sang some very ancient melodies, some songs like Tristes or Jaravilles, and he, as a little boy, remembered in his mind those melodies were, were alive until, until he was 78 years or 80 years. Uh, those melodies uh, impact him, and melodies from the, from the pampa, from the from our music as huellas, gatos, or tristes, or jarabies. Afterward, in the 1940s, he is impacted by Spanish writers because of the of the Spanish Civil War. He knew all that poetry of the. 27 Spanish generation. Cernuda. Yeah. Rafael Alberti, Cernuda, of course, and uh, Manuel Alto Laguirre. And in the 40s, uh, he also knew uh, Latin American poets like Gabriela Mistral. He did 15 songs by Gabriela Mistral and also. Pablo Neruda, and also Juana de Barburu. I was reflecting about what you are saying, that probably our listeners don't know how important was at that time of the Spanish Civil War poetry, because it was much more than some aesthetic thing. It was some political, it had a lot of political meaning, and it was a, a movement supporting the Spanish Civil War that was led by the poets, like Neruda, for example, or Old Cernuda, or the generation of the 27. So probably yes. aligning to, to, with the poets also, it was a way to support these in intellectuals and yearning of freedom of the Spanish people. Yes, uh, he was impacted by those poetry, um, because it, it was in the air, he, he was, coming from Santa Fe to Buenos Aires in 1938. And Alberti was coming to Buenos Aires also at the beginning of, of 1940. And at the end of 1939, Manuel de Falla was coming to Buenos Aires. The Spanish Civil War impacted our culture. Uh, surely uh, he was very near those people and you know that Alberti and his wife, Teresa de Leon, when they come from, from France, Pablo Neruda told, him, told them to go to Chile. But they arrived in Buenos Aires and they saw that here there were many writers, many intellectuals, many people related with the publish, publisher and Gonzalo Lozada, for example. And then Alberti, for example, arrived and he installed in, Ar in Argentina with his wife. And they have Aitana Alberti here in Argentina, their daughter. And um, for example, in a few 
Manthus, Alberti published here some poems like Se equivocó la paloma. Mm -hmm. Se equivocó la paloma isn't a nice poem only. Se equivocó la paloma is an autobiographical poem where the, that bird that doesn't know where is the north, where is the south, when is the night, when is uh, the day, <laughs> that bird, la paloma, is himself with his exile, with um, the problem that cannot, cannot go back to Spain. Uh, so Guastavino has the fortune to to be to, to write very quickly when a poem impacts him. He used to say that if he read a poem, um, something very, very strong, suddenly very strong uh, succeed, he, he, he needs to write the music quickly. So that way of, of making the music for those poems was very fluently appearing in his in his work. And I have a question related to his personality. I mean, I have read that he was in a way rejected by his peers, composers of the time who were pursuing these new avant-garde and new musical languages. And he left him kind of aside, isolated, and he had to live isolated in part of this rejection from the other composers. Is that right? How was it? Yes, because he he wrote his music in a tonal manner. He was not, he didn't want to be an avant-garde composer and he chose to be la like he was. So in those times, composers were had other interests. So he he must be isolated, as you say, to to try to go on with his style of music. But this is because he needed because to be like that. A person who is very coherent, very faithful to who he was, to follow his path apart from the trends. Yes, yes, it was um, something that he chose to be like that, you know, and when. In 1960s became what we call the, the boom, the folklore boom. <laughs> we use an anglicism, the boom, to mean that explosion of interest by the folklore, by the dances, by the music, the popular music of our country. And in, in those times, he wanted his music extended to all the people, to the publics, of different places and of different ages. So in 60s, he began to compose many, many popular songs when he knew uh, Romulo Lagos. Romulo Lagos uh, had his office in the same building where Guastavino lived. Oh, so the Editorial Lagos <laughs> are we talking about? We are talking about Editorial Lagos, yeah. And then, Lagos, he, he, they crossed when, when he got in or, or get out of his house. So Lagos, one day, gave him uh, a little piece of paper with a poem and put that piece of paper in his folder. And afterwards, Guastavino read the poem. It was a poem by Alma Garcia mm -hmm. about a bird has died. Elegía para un gorrión. Mm -hmm. 
and he immediately had the music, the melody for that verb. So he began to compose popular musics and to publish those songs by Lagos. And there he met with Atahualpa Yupanqui and Eduardo Falú and all those persons, performers and composers and poets interested in folk music also. That's wonderful. And this Guiche eh, Eisenberg era and Hamlet Lima Quintana. Yes, he met at Lagos with Hamlet Lima Quintana. Wow. Hamlet Lima Quintana was certainly a very communist poet and uh, he he wrote many many poems concerning with social with, issues yes social nueva issues cantante. that's the time of the nueva canción when there is an expression of yes, the yes the new song the latin american the song latin america. and the argentinian latin uh, american new song lima quintana is the author of hermano with guastavino Fíjate, hermano, cómo vas cantando. Toda la tierra te escucha conmigo. Toda la tierra te escucha. Te escucha conmigo. Del surco hasta el cañadón del viento hasta la madera, del tiempo hasta la ternura de la vida verdadera. Porque es preciso tener un corazón derramado, girones de sueños viejos que van quedando olvidados de sueños viejos que van quedando olvidados fíjate hermano como vas cantando Toda la tierra te escucha conmigo. Toda la tierra te escucha. Te escucha conmigo. Del grito hasta la oración. Del fuego hasta la memoria, que el hombre en dolor viviente cante sangre de su historia. Y cuando quede al final tu corazón silencioso, serás un pueblo sintiendo por un cantor milagroso. Un pueblo sintiendo por un 
cantor milagroso Fíjate hermano Cómo vas cantando Toda la tierra te escucha conmigo Toda la tierra te escucha Te escucha conmigo That song uh, was... Uh recorded by Mercedes Sosa in 1966. And it was a, a real connection with the, the movement of the new song. The new song in Argentina uh, began in Mendoza with a group of artists that uh, signed the manifest in 1963. And Mercedes Sosa was one of them and her husband, Oscar Matus, and also Armando Tejada Gómez and Tito Francia. Salgo a caminar por la cintura cósmica del sur. Exactly. And then Guastavino participates in that movement, but with his personality, with, with some distance, not in a, in, a, in a public way, but with his music and Mercedes Sosa recorded a, a long play called Hermano as the first song that it is in the long play, you know? And uh, Quintana has many poems, very nice poems, a cycle of new, of nine songs called Edad de la Sombra. que está el día, la noche, el sueño, el árbol, los pájaros. Very, very nice songs that of Lima Quintana, of course. But it's so beautiful to see, I mean, from, from my perspective as a singer, because I, when I started singing when I was 14, 15, I started singing Nueva Canción. So I started singing uh, folk music and the folk music was the Nueva Canción Latinoamericana and my fathers in music were all those Mercedes, all these songs were the songs I grew up singing in my teens. So very meaningful. And I think my experience could be extended to many la people in Latin America because we identified with these social issues and this uh, desire to equality, all these values that now, because of you, I know Guastavino supported too. Exactly. In those times, in the 60s, though, those were the subjects that young people were interested in, and uh, Stavino participated in those, in those movements, you know, in the moment of the boom, the folkloric boom, everybody can sing and accompany with a guitar, the young people, older people, all all social classes used to sing as an entertainment in, in, in birthdays, in, in any occasions, you know, and um, Lima Quintana and Panqui uh, and Guastavino were in the same group of people. Another writer that he knew in those times was Leon Benaros. 
and they had production of songs of more than 60 songs at the same time. Benaros wrote the poems for Guastavino music. He used to say that each week on Saturdays they meet at his home and they prove all the music. Uh, he used to say that Benaros was a spontaneously writer. If some, if a verse doesn't go, uh, he could change the verse immediately, wow. and all the verses, all the stanzas were perfectly in his octosyllabic manner. Both as were a, very natural, I mean, because as you mentioned, Guastavino also was kind of very intuitive. The music came, and Benaros too. Exactly. The, for example, the Flores Argentinas and the Pájaro birds, those two cycles, Pájaros and Flores Argentinas, were conceived in that manner, both playing, playing at the same time with music and with poems. And especially in, in stanzas of four verses, octosyllabic verses, and also with the refrain, the, what we call the estribillo, the same music and the same letter that usually is the more memorable part of the song. Of the song. So since most of these rhythms and melodies were originally for, I mean, in the folk tradition for the guitar, he must know, I imagine, also a lot of these to pass to that to the piano. Yes, he, he conceived all his work at the piano, uh, but as, as you know, Guastavino was interested in the guitar uh, and uh, the guitar literature is very important with his three sonatas and also with Jeromita Linares uh, for guitar and chords. And, he conceived all his music at the piano, but he was he had some some friends that could play the guitar. For example, Roberto Lara revised the fingers and the details in 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 the sonatas, and afterwards he also changed some of his songs for voice and piano, adapted to voice and guitar. Yeah, it's interesting how this movement was kind of the opposite because no normally the guitar is the first, I mean, voice and guitar in the folk song is like the first composed for that. And then com composers stylize it for voice and piano. And he was doing the opposite movement. Yes, because he had uh, begun to study piano when he was four and the piano was his his natural manner of expressing his, his music. But you know that in our nationalistic music, the guitar is everywhere. <laughs> the guitar is always a present. Uh, in, in, even when the guitar is absent, it's present. It's present you know? Because it's more democratic, as you were saying, people from all social classes in all places could play it, could transport it. So it was part of this narrative that gives voice to all people through song. So the guitar yes. is the perfect companion for that. Guitar uh, in our culture is an emblem of nationalistic uh, music and 
also in 19th century, not only in the 20th century, the guitar is always referred, is present in, a, in our music, even when it isn't, it isn't play at all, even when we are talking about pianistic music. Yeah, and I think it happens also in Spain and in many countries in Latin America where the guitar is at the foundation of all our musical identity. Yes, the, the guitar. The words, the scales, the... Yes, it's a very strong symbol in our, in our music, indeed. Um, it is always in our repertoires. And uh, it was perhaps in 1960s when Guastavino knew Roberto Lara when he began to be interested in, in the guitar. He had an instrument, a little guitar, and he used to, to do some, some jokes when he said that he, he was trying to play and to prove some positions uh, in the guitar. But with Roberto Lara, he could write the sonatas, the very important sonatas for guitar. For, for guitar. And Guastavino also, since he was a very gifted pianist, he also accompanied singers like Conchita Badia. Yes, Conchita Badia was living here from 1937 to 1947. And Conchita Badia was a friend of Manuel de Falla. Many composers of our country dedicated Conchita Badia their songs. She did the first performance of several songs of Ginastera, Guastavino, several composers. And in, in Altagracia, where Manuel de Falla was living, you know that he couldn't go back to Spain because he, he came here um, in November 1939, invited by the Teatro Colón for five uh, concerts with his works. And afterward, the, the other war, uh, the Second World War began, and then he never more uh, go to Spain again. So he lived in, in the mountains in Córdoba, in Altagracia, a very, a very nice weather, a very, a very green place, because he was ill, and there, uh, Conchita Badia and Guastavino and some other composers went to visit Emanuel de Falla. Guastavino first wrote him some letters and sent him some manuscripts, some songs, some songs by Luis Cernuda. For example, the first song, Ancient Garden, Jardin Antiguo, Jardin Antiguo. is dedicated to Manuel de Falla. Yes, and Manuel de Falla saw the manuscripts, and although he was very ill, in 1845, he told Guastavino uh, that he could go. And he, he was in Altagracia uh, twice, in February and in May, visiting the Koran. They work, uh, they play the piano, they prove some passages of the Sonatina in Sol Menor. Guastavino, perhaps the most uh, modernist work 
that was the Wastavino role. And, um, and they talk about the songs and the styles, and Wastavino always remembered those suggestions that Faja gave him. He admires Faja and his music. You know that I'm very close friend to, with the family of Conchita Badia, with the only daughter that survived in her, and the great grandson of Conchita Badia, whose name is Pau Casan. We recorded our first CD, and my first CD many years ago, 2002, and we recorded some of the songs that Conchita recorded, including Se Equivocó La Paloma, and the daughters at that time, they always remember how she did a tournée with with uh, Guastavino on the piano. And she, uh, apparently, they also went to Uruguay and other places in Latin America playing together. Yes, yes. Usually, uh, when he was, when he did his tours, he used to play one part of solistic piano pieces and the other part with a singer. And Conchita and Guastavino um, played especially the Gabriela Mistral's songs, the Lulevis, Gabriela <laughs> Mistral, and, um, and also La Rosa Conchita y in La Rosa y el Sauce, Conchita Badia told him that it could be vocalist at the end, you know, because La Rosa y el Sauce ended with a pianistic postlude without voice. But she suggests the composer that the Sauce could be crying the vocalized, vocalization at the end of the song. And you know that Conchita Badia, she studied piano, she was a great pianist, and she studied with Granados. And when you hear this part, last part of the vocalist, is the influence of Granados is there because it, you, you hear it. I don't know how I can say that there is an influence there of Granados in, in this song through Conchita. Perhaps, perhaps. Um... Some Spanish music is present in Guastavino. I understand those process as reception process, composer to composer in this case. And um, Conchita also sang here Falla songs and uh, Granados songs. Those repertoires were played at the Wagneriana concerts, cycles, at the Teatro Colón also, and uh, she was a very important singer here. She usually participated in, in different cities of our country, performing those, those repertoires. You know that I have a recording, I don't know if you have heard, they're so beautiful that I have it through her daughters, in which she is old, very old, and She's singing a concert here in some place in Madrid, and I think I don't know if it was Carlos Manso on the piano, and she starts uh, they start playing La Rosa del Sauce, or no, la, Se equivocó la Paloma. So she arrives to some point of the song, and she forgets the the lyrics. So they stop, they start again. She at the same time she forgets three times. And at the end, she stops, and this is in the recording, which is very beautiful. And she stops and says, Tanto equivocarse la paloma, pobre Guastavino. 
She, she was not thinking, pobre yo, que me equivoqué. She was not concerned about her, but about pobre Guastavino. And she loved so much Argentina that she even spoke like an Argentina with the diction of an Argentinian person. Yes, yes. Uh, that um, recording, I think it was in 1964, which Carlos Manso and her husband, had died uh, in those times and uh, perhaps um, she was affected, but she, she decided to offer that concert, although the situation. And there she, she remembers when Faja died, she explains that she went to Altagracia four or five days before November 14, when Fasha died, and Fasha told her, we will see you, Conchita, if not here, in the sky, in the sky. In the stars. That's so beautiful, but going back to our beloved Guastavino, I, I have a question that you, do you met him? So I always, when I have the this image, for example, of Faya, who was a very ascetic person, a little bit mystic, isolated, same thing happens with a, a figure like, for example, Antoni Gaudí, who was very religious, like Faya, very isolated, also like Guastavino. Guastavino was a mystic person or a religious person, or how was it in personality, I mean, I think he wasn't a religious person, although he studied with Jesuits in Santa Fe. He was in his secondary school, in a Catholic school, but he, I, I think he wasn't a religious person. He used to mention God in some occasions when he was old, when he was 80, 85 years, but we should understand that Guastavino at the final period was very ill. He had Alzheimer and uh, he, he wasn't so, so conscious of some, some kind of, of uh, his thinking that perhaps changed at the final period. You know, he was a person of a Catholic family in Santa Fe, yes. And how was, I mean, another set of songs that is important are the ones with the Gabriela Mistral's poems. How was this connection with Mistral or the, his interest for these poems? I think the social issues of Gabriela's Mistral poems attracted him. Gabriela Mistral was living in Brazil uh, at the beginning of the 40s, and there is only one letter that he, he conserved when she authorized the poems to be edited by, by Ricordia Americana as songs. Um, he admires uh, Gabriela Mistral and those uh, children described as we, with his without anything alone children, that, that poems of Tala, of the first period of Gabriela uh, impact him and they did uh, 15 songs uh, with her poems. So he seems he was very politically involved or his beliefs, po po political views. Yes, she was, first of all, she was a, 
young woman, and she was uh, politically involved in, in those times. It was in 1945 that she has the, the Nobel Prize. It was a very important moment in Latin American culture. Guastavino was also very politically involved also. I know, I, I feel forward. You have said that, yes, he was, because he was he was part of this uh, movement of Una Canción and he was political through his songs. But he was spoken, speaking about politics, uh, I mean, he, his views. He had uh, political ideas. He was convinced, but don't forget that he didn't used to be a social person. So sometimes, uh, for example, he's tour by China and the Soviet Union in 1956 has been understood as, as a political position going there in a troop, uh, in, in a trip to, to play his music. Um, but it, it wasn't an express involving in those movements. So he traveled many countries in the world. How was his touring career? How, how was it? Yeah, uh, Latin American, uh, all the countries in South America, he went uh, with, with another artist, uh, Chile, Uruguay, Brazil, Peru. And afterward, he was living in London two years in 1945, 48 and 49, because he won a grant by the British Council. And there he was living in, in Great Britain. And then there he did some pieces for orchestra that the BBC played, directed by Walter Gerr. And there he did some tours with a singer and uh, afterwards to some other countries, some European countries. And afterwards in China and the Soviet Union in 1956. Afterwards, he began to teach at the National Conservatory and in another conservatory. And there he didn't offer many concerts in the 60s. He focused on composing and, and writing his music. So one, one of the challenges that singers and performers around the world have to perform Latin American music is the access to publications. So I personally have had strong difficulties, a lot of difficulties to access this music also. No, even with Guastavino, who was published and mainly by Ricordia Americana, with Recordia Americana, it's very hard to have, I mean, it's very hard to access their funds of cheap music or to buy their music from outside Argentina. Well, Ricordi and Lagos uh, published his music, some, some of, of, of the hits <laughs> of Guastavino had uh, 25, 28 editions. Um, for example, La Rosa del Sauce or Pueblito Mi Pueblo, many, many editions of the same song. Recently, in, those, in our times, we can see some problems with the 
circulation of, of his music. But in some other times, they sold many, many scores all over the world. And thanks to that is that I, for example, growing in Colombia, had access to copies of the copies or something that was published in the 40s, let's say, but, or 50s, and things that they, he was published. But nowadays it is amazing. How can is it possible that with the internet and all these things that should be facilitators, we find obstacles and obstacles to access this music? We should have more access. I know it's today is a problem to access to to his music. There are many economic problems in our country and they really cannot uh, send the music, for example. It's, it's a real difficult time for us. But Guastavino could publish a great part of his, of his works. Only 12 pieces were not published. And in 2012, I did my second book about Guastavino. Yes. Let me mention yeah. for you, I will show people the covers I have here. Cinco Estudios sobre Carlos Guastavino, homenaje en su centenario compiled by yes. you and published by the Universidad Nacional del Litoral. There is another, La Obra Musical de Carlos Guastavino, Circulación, Recepción, Mediaciones. Yes, La Obra Musical de Guastavino is my PhD dissertation at the University of Buenos Aires. Yes, and the five studies about Carlos Guastavino is a book compiled with five authors, Bernardo Hilary, Melanie Plesch, Carlos Manso, Romina de Silio and me. It was a project by the National University of the Litoral, and we did that book, Five Studies. Um, there's another book, the third book, that it is this great. Las Músicas Inéditas. <laughs> wow. yeah. Sheet Music. Sheet Music, yes. Uh, we did it with Vera Volkovic. Ah at the National Institute of Musicology as an homage also in the centenary in 2012 when it, when it was the centenary of his birth. And we publish about 20 pieces not published at all and also some transcriptions of himself, of another works previously edited by the Lagos. And now Publish. I have a, pr a, pr a practical question because I know how hard it is to publish music of composers who are protected by copyright law. Who are the authorized descendants of Carlos Guastavino, the ones who have the, who own the rights of his music nowadays if he didn't have children? He didn't have children, yeah. Uh, there are three people in Santa Fe that had the copyright and they authorized uh, this book because they have, uh, his family had, has an archive with the manuscripts. Oh, interesting. Um, and they authorized Vera and me to publish and the National Institute of Musicology to publish these musics. Where um, could we find this music? Is possible to buy it online? I think so. You can search the, this music in this website of the National Institute, Carlos Vega. Muy yes. Bien. This is good for the singers who are listening to us because I know they must be, or the musicians, they must be interested in this. Yes, here we have some camera music, only one 
piano music, several, several songs, several choral musics, and some camera groups uh, of uh, wind instruments. That... Clarinet, concert for clarinet and piano that is very famous. Yes, the, the nine presents and the eight presents, you know, because he published until the presents number seven. Eight and nine, he didn't publish when he was alive, and they are in this book. Wow, this is a treasure. Musicians of the world who are hearing to Silvina now, now you know where to access this music. And one question also, I'm sorry I'm taking advantage of you because I, I'm talking not only for me, but for all the listeners who love Guastavino and want to ask you many things. He was inter He also wrote many songs for children, Las Canciones Escolares. How was this interest and why did he wrote many songs for children? Uh, in, in, in 1940s, there was a special interest in the politics to, to promote Argentinian music at schools. When he came to Buenos Aires, he won a prize of the student song, La Canción del Estudiante the student song by the Ministry of Education. And afterwards, he wrote Pueblito Mi Pueblo, Propósito, um, Arroyito Serrano, I those songs know. that were authorized by the National Council of Education to be played uh, in all the Argentinian schools. And uh, for example, Pueblito Mi Pueblo, it is for two voices and a choir and especially uh, two voices that can uh, be learned without knowing how to read music. You can learn it uh, by memory, as, as usually children do at school. And in the case of Pueblito Mi Pueblo, it's a very nice song that um, talks about, about San Jose del Rincón. San Jose del Rincón is a very little town near Santa Fe that in the summer, especially people from Santa Fe goes to San Jose del Rincón because of the river, because of the air, because of the trees there. So uh, he remembers, it was very alone, very nostalgic of his little town, San Jose del Rincón, Pueblito, mi pueblo. No puedo olvidarte. No. 
Hearing you talking about Pueblito Mi Pueblo, I couldn't resist but to share this live performance of Nikos Establas and I singing Pueblito Mi Pueblo during a concert last year at the Barcelona Festival of Song. You say it was written for children, but it's a song for adults. I mean, in the sense of this experience of longing, nostalgia, it's very profound. Yes, it is adapted for for um, for voices a cappella. You can sing it uh, with only one voice and piano, with two voices and piano, and of course with two voices and a children choir and piano. Ay, Guastavino used to transcribe and to to adapt it his songs for different kinds of singers. So that's very nice. No, I'm very excited and probably the viewers are seeing that behind you is a picture of Carlos Guastavino. They're playing the piano. See, there yes. is Carlos Guastavino. He is here. <laughs> he is here. And there, you. I don't know if you can see it. There is a paper that he wrote for Ricardo, for Ricardo and me when we married. <laughs> for my, my dearest... Uh, Friends, Ricardo and Silvina. And it's, it's so beautiful because for you, it's not only a composer that you read about or study. It was somebody you, you love and was part of your life. Yes, yes. All my life is concerned with Guastavino. All my life. And as my husband is a guitarist, he used to play the number one sonata. And when we studied at the National Conservatory, Uh, sometimes uh, he plays the sonata and I suggest some issues about that piece. And uh, afterward, when when we married, Guastavino, don't tell me anymore, Señorita Silvina. And he began to call me Doña Silvina. <laughs> Doña Silvina. And afterwards, when my first is... Um, son it was born my son is charles of course <laughs> claro and uh, um, sometimes we we went to visit him with the baby and and the baby was there hearing the music and participating in, in our <laughs> talkings Qué bonito, ay, qué historia tan linda. I understand you very well because I also had a very close connection with a Colombian composer whose name was Jaime León. Yes. So a great art song composer. He was not just a composer to me, but part of my family. <laughs> This is, he was like yes. my grandfather or something like that. So I love him very much. And still he, he died in 2015, but still he is with me all the time, every day, the books, the music, there is a presence that is part of my life. Yes, in this case, it wasn't a friendship so, so near. Uh, perhaps with El Sapúpulo, with Vicente Elias, Guastavino was a friendship uh, for many, many years. And they used to, to join each week, for example, each Sunday wow. with with El Sapúpulo to improvise at the piano, to play the piano. 
in our case, it was a period of five or six years only when we when we met him afterwards, he had to go again to Santa Fe when he was ill. His family decided uh, to take him to Santa Fe again, where he died in 2000s. Um, but at the middle of the 90s, uh, he, he went to Santa Fe. So I, Silvina, you cannot imagine how happy and move and grateful I am for your presence here, for sharing all this information and knowledge that you have about the our beloved Carlos Guastavino. And I only want that more and more singers and musicians around the world know him and know you and your magnificent work. I'm very grateful with you. It's a honor. Patricia, to be in this podcast also. Gracias, Silvina. And now I would like to remind our listeners and viewers that this podcast is brought to you thanks to the support of the Barcelona Festival of Song. That is a summer program dedicated to Conchita Badia because it was born as an homage to Conchita. And Carlos Manso was here in the first and in two editions he had been here telling stories. And so the Barcelona Festival of Song is a summer program for classical singers devoted to studying the Latin American and Iberian art song in Spanish, in Catalan and in Portuguese. And also thanks to Mundo Arts Publications, this is the publisher of the, the scores for the singers, the art songs, and also thanks to the Center for Iberian and Latin American Music of the University of California, Riverside. And I ask the listeners and viewers Please subscribe to this podcast. We need to promote this, this knowledge and make musicians to benefit from this music. So thank you very much. And I hope you connect for the next episode next week. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. Thank you. Thank you very much, Patricia. Gracias, Silvina. For listening to the Latin American and Iberian Art Zone podcast. This episode was brought to you thanks to listeners like you. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to patriciacaicedo.com slash podcast, subscribe to gain access to our free resources, and consider making a donation to ensure our future. Muchas gracias.